Welcome to Companion Pass. I'm Lindsay Branquino, and we're about to take a wild ride into the lesser-known side of rodeo life. While the biggest names in rodeo are out in the arena entertaining us all, these are the stories of the people behind the scenes, supporting them and holding it all together. Unfiltered conversations with the partners, parents, and children of your favorite rodeo athletes on what it takes to navigate relationships, raise families, and pursue careers while the ones they love are out chasing their gold buckle dreams. Whether you're a part of this big rodeo family, a fan of the action, or a lover of Western culture, Companion Pass is where you'll find all of the insights you've been craving. Welcome back to Companion Pass. I am super excited about today's guest. We have Carolyn Swisher, who is the wife of bullfighter Chuck Swisher. And I think that is just about as cool a title or job title as a husband can have, right? Like you just show up and you're like, what your husband do is like, he fights bulls. That's pretty awesome. The first wife of a bullfighter we've had. And so I'm really excited to explore this kind of new area of rodeo life. Carolyn, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for asking to be me. <laughs> I, does that just like trump everything in all conversations? Like, are you ever out with friends and they're like, oh, my husband's in real estate. My husband's a lawyer. You're like, my husband fights bulls. It's like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like sometimes I feel like this sounds really sad and it's really not as, but I'm like, I joke around all the time about how I'm just like living in the shadows of my husband because I'm like, how do you compete with a job title like bullfighter? And as soon as you bring it up, people have like 800 questions and and rightly. Oh, totally. I feel like my kids will say like my dad rodeos or my dad's a steer wrestler or whatever. Or somebody will come up to them and be like, oh, it's so cool. Your dad's a cowboy. And my kids are like, he's not like a bullfighter or something. Like, Oh, gosh. <laughs> Like, he doesn't do anything impressive. Like, whatever, let's see him fight a bull. Oh, whatever. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, we met in person. I've been following you on social media, and I have told you, but I just think you are so funny. You're clever, and you're witty, and you just always make me smile. I love your sense of humor. And it's been a ton of fun for me to get to know you in that way. But we met each other for the first time last year at the finals, which was such a highlight for me. It was like the best meeting ever. We were immediately launched into this, like Chuck was there. And I think he was kind of the one who was like, hey, hey, come meet Carolyn. So we went over there and he had, was it that morning that he had gone skydiving? I don't know if it was that, by the way, likewise, I was so happy <laughs> to finally meet you. I don't remember if it was that I feel like it was probably like the day before or a couple earlier. I had at least had a chance to like come down from the shock and the that was so funny. We like upon our first meeting, and maybe it was because I don't even remember how it got brought up, but it could have been him either introducing us to take the heat off of himself from still trying to get out of trouble. It could have been you still being completely pale that I was like, is something wrong? But it came out in the first five minutes of meeting each other. That Chuck had kind of like run off and jumped out of an airplane while you guys were in Vegas, much to your dismay, right? Yeah, I don't know how it came up in conversation either, but I do know that that's kind of, I mean, that's everyday life with <laughs> like, I don't think anyone would put it past anyone really in rodeo. They're all, they're all adrenaline junkies, I would guess, but especially as a bullfighter, like he just doesn't he doesn't do anything halfway like there is no gray area in chuck's life it's all or nothing black or white there's no fence sitting he's just like all in and so i don't know why stuff like that still shocks me <laughs> just me off guard but it was just like oh we're in vegas and it was like if he sits around long enough not doing anything high octane or super busy and someone proposes something like, hey, let's jump out of an airplane tomorrow. He's like, heck yeah, let's do it. So <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll be here. Come back, please. Come back, please. I, I Yeah. So bullfighting, I can't even imagine the type of personality or that, that it, it takes to get out there and do that. That kind of, it goes against like every natural instinct to his job is literally to put himself in harm's way. Like, that's the whole objective of his job is to be the one like, all right, you want to come and kill me? Let's do this. 
So if he's an adrenaline junkie and thriving in those types of situations and always kind of looking for that high, are you the same way or are you... I wish everybody watch listening to this could see the face you just made of me because it was like, perfection. Not even a little bit. I and actually I think because I'm married to someone who is so risky, I'm extra risk averse. Like I think we drive each other crazy, but also balance each other out. I talk about this a lot. Like I think he needs I need a push and he needs a pullback. And so I never thought that I was as risk averse. You're probably just normal. It's only in comparison to (laughs) him that you appear to be very safe. Yeah. I always like in and now I'm talking about work, like making decisions on the fly and that sort of thing is a little different. Maybe a decision like running out of at a bull on the fly. But like I thought I was always pretty good at just going with the flow and being like, okay, it's crunch time. We have to make a decision. Like I was always in some kind of management position where it was like, you don't have time, really. You just have to make a decision and then not even apologize for it later if it's really if it's not quite the run, but just say, okay and pivot and add that sort of thing. And then it really when we got married and started like really doing day to day life together, I started to get a lot more like I need a contingency plan. Like what's going to if this goes wrong, like I need I think through everything and I really have to be careful not to have like paralysis by analysis. Love that. I'm going to need to write that down because that is that describes me to a T. You can't I mean, and because you can't foresee everything that could go right or wrong. Sometimes you just have to like make a move and then flex as you go. And yeah, he will just, he doesn't, I don't want to say, he's not careless. Like he doesn't not think about the possibilities of, and I'm thinking specifically in my head, like the example I'm using is our like business ventures together. Like we, we've been buying investment properties. And in the beginning, I was so like, we never would have moved if he hadn't given me a push because I was just thinking about all the things that could go wrong and not necessarily the things that could go right. And I have to give him credit where credit is due for like he really put the work in and learned as much as he could in a really short period of time. But at some point, you just have to make the jump and figure it out, figure parts of it out as you go. I kind of realized in the last year that here's another analogy for you. Like we always talk about how things that are in motion stay in motion. But I felt for a while like the ball was just not moving. The ball was just. And so but once it gets moving, before it picks up momentum or as it picks up momentum, you can then have it change directions and go any way you want. But if it's just staying there, it's it's staying there. It's not going anywhere. So you have to at least get it moving and start with one foot in front of the other. And then, yeah, bad things could happen. Also, good things could happen. And I also feel like most things are not permanent but once that ball is moving it can switch directions you you just have to figure it out as you go yeah I think something you just said there that really connected with me is that bad things can happen but good things can also happen and I think because I'm an overthinker I'm cautious I'm a lot of the things kind of it sounds like you described yourself as that I do overthink those decisions and I worry. And my head, people always like to say, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'm like, well, here, I've made a list of the hundred worst things that could happen. They're alphabetized and ranked in order of how bad they would be. It's like, yes, I can tell you exactly what the worst thing could happen. And I really forget the second part of what you just said is that also good things can happen. And that if you're just not moving, you're avoiding the bad things, but you're also avoiding a lot of good things. And I feel like I had to learn that through living a lot of life and going through some really difficult things. And then you have to be open to those good things because when you stay in that safe middle, neither is really happening and that's not experiencing life to the fullest. And it sounds like somebody like Chuck, what I'm hearing you say is that he takes a lot of his approach in his job and being a bullfighter and is also applying it to life. And I love hearing that you have learned from that or picked up on some of those things just through watching the way he lives. Yeah. Like I said, I think that we balance each other out really well in that I need a push or like he needs to be reeled in a little bit. (laughs) He needs somebody to remind him to put his parachute on. Yeah. But (laughs) I also need a reminder to jump 
Yeah. <laughs> you show up, figure things out from there. But if you're if you just stay standing still, then your entire life stays stagnant and they feel stuck. And I think that's worse than landing yourself in a position that you're like, oh, gosh, how did I get myself in this pickle? Because you can get out, get out of it. You'll get out of it. You have to pivot. Yeah, it's very true. I think that there are two kinds of couples that work. And it's people who are super similar. So they just are always on the same, like share a brain. They're always on the same page. They're doing all the same. Or people who are really opposite. And Luke and I too are total opposites in pretty much all ways. And I've found exactly what you were saying is that I have had to have that. I think because I'm so timid and reserved and second guess myself at every turn is that he's always the person who's like pushing me and encouraging me and drawing me out. And when I give him my 100 list of things that could go wrong, he's like, yeah, but one through 99 are not that bad. And you're going to be okay afterwards because I think when you have a partner who is encouraging you in every way that they can, that they can tell you half of those reasons are like, if you fall, I'm going to catch you. And that's all, you know, that's at the end of the day, we'll start over again. Like, I'll be here with you to pick up the pieces and it's not going to be that bad because aside from forgetting your parachute when you jump out of the plane, most things can be fixed. Like you said, I love hearing that about your guys' relationship. So how did you two meet? Okay, so we... Every good I, story starts with a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> we, I'm more because I'm like, okay, keep it concise. So I did not grow up. I didn't grow up in rodeo. I grew up around horses. I grew up in like hunter-jumper land, a little bit of dressage. So I grew up around horses and a girl that I used to compete with decided to switch things up and she started barrel racing where she met her, at the time, boyfriend, who was a Canadian bullfighter. His name and you're from Canada, correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. No, I'm Canadian. <laughs> so her boyfriend at the time was a Canadian bullfighter and he and Chuck would travel together, work together live together, that sort of thing. And so when she would FaceTime her boyfriend, Chuck would often be around. And so they got to chatting and she's like, oh my gosh, Carolyn, you need to, you need to talk to Chuck. Like, I feel like you guys would just hit it off so well. And I had, I was recently single. I wanted nothing to do with anybody. I just wanted to figure myself out, just get back to me. And I was like, I'm not interested in dating anybody right now never mind some guy who lives in Oklahoma like where even is Oklahoma you're like a nice Canadian girl with your English saddle and he's like a, an Oklahoma bullfighter like this is a movie yeah I was like there is no way and then I find out where Oklahoma is and it, it happened <laughs> to be like 20 hours away from where I was living and I was like ain't no way and anyway cut to probably not that long after a few weeks later, he had sent me a friend request on Facebook. And so that's where most of our chatting happened was just through like messenger. And immediately I was like, oh, he's so nice. <laughs> the station just happened so naturally. And he was so sweet, like almost too sweet. I was like, I don't know about you. We talked like every day. Somehow, I'm sure we exchanged numbers at some point. And so we would just text back and forth all the time. He messaged me probably, I think this probably all happened in in the spring. I, I would guess maybe like a month later. He texted me and was like, hey, I'm going to be working a rodeo in North Dakota. How I think that's close to you, right? I was living in <laughs> Manitoba. Okay. And Winnipeg, Manitoba, maybe like an hour and a half from the border of North Dakota. I said, I'm pretty close. Like, where are you going to be in North Dakota? And he said, Fargo. And that was about four hours from me. And he said, you should come hang out for the weekend or the night or whatever. Just come hang out. I want to meet you. I can hang out at the rodeo. And so you guys had still never met in person up until this point? No. no. And I don't even think we like. I don't know, was FaceTime a thing or I don't know how long it's been around. Anyway, we had never like seen or video chatted or anything. Even I don't even know if we'd ever spoken on the phone. It was just texting back and forth. And so everything about I'm such a feeler, like I'm also like super heady and in my head about everything. But oh, my like heart, this so cheesy, but like my heart always takes over where my head is telling me no. My heart's always like, go for it. And so, yeah. 
And so he said, come hang out. I was like, you don't know this person. But I, if I was being totally honest with myself, like I really wanted to meet him. I really wanted to hang out with him. And so I went down and met him for the first time and also super corny, but it was just like, I don't know, the conversation still flowed as naturally and comfortably. And it felt like I had known him for a very long time. And we had never even really seen each other face to face before this point. And so it was just really fun. And we hit it off and I kind of knew like immediately that I wanted to continue seeing him. And I think he felt a little bit. It turned out well. Um, but I still was like in my head and, and I thought, you still don't really know this person. And I was like, I don't know, this whole rodeo cowboy thing, like, could be, he could be as sweet as he comes across, or he could be a mess. I don't know. Like, and so anyway, we started flying back and forth to see each other. Actually, I went down to see him a second time in Oklahoma City, and he didn't have his passport at the time. And I was like, listen, buddy. I'm not chasing you all around the United States if you're not going to come to Canada and chase me back all over my country. And so I was like, if you're serious about this, you better get your passport. This is like the the rodeo equivalent of like giving somebody a key or like a drawer at their place or something. It's like (laughs) the next level. It's like, all right. Rodeo romance, get your passport and prove it to me. (laughs) We're taking things to the next step. We're going international. Yeah. I was like, first of all, you probably (laughs) should have your passport. It's a good idea. (laughs) But also that like I I really was here. I was like, I'm not coming back here if you don't. This isn't a if if there's no, you know, giving and getting. So you're going to have to saddle up. (laughs) So. Then, okay, if you're new to this world, he is at the most extreme end of the rodeo industry. Was that daunting thinking about like, okay, as you guys are dating, you're falling in love with him, things are getting more serious, he's got his passport at this point. Then it's like, is that a little bit thinking about what, when you're starting to consider like a real future with him, was that overwhelming? What was, did you have feelings about that? Were you just so in love and kind of not considering that? What was that like for you? Was it a thought? I don't remember it being like a deterrent. If I'm being totally honest, at first it sounds, it seems so, it's interesting. It's a really interesting career choice. And so, and it's so fun when you, I didn't go everywhere with him, obviously, and we were so far away from each other, but getting to go with him when I could was, was so fun and like such a new experience for me. And, and I got to meet tons of people and I don't know, just like in the beginning, everything's fun and, and new and exciting in the beginning of a relationship. And so I, th- I don't think it ever, it ever like phased me negatively. I never thought, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could, because I, in a long distance relationship, at least for me, I was like, if you're going to continue to do this, it's got to be because you see yourself with this person forever and you can see yourself marrying this person and so I think pretty early on it got serious in that sense and I and I was picturing what our life would look like and it never bothered me I don't think I don't remember a time that I was like oh my gosh I don't know if I can I also really kind of like being alone like I love people I'm pretty social um, but I decompress really well by myself and so I obviously get to a point if he's gone for quite a while where, of course, I miss him for shaker days. I tell him this all the time, too. I don't even feel bad about it anymore. For the first few days, I'm like, like, I have the house to myself. I And part of that probably was born out of the long distance part of our relationship because my option in the beginning was be miserable all the time and miss this person and just sad or distract yourself and immerse yourself in the things that you like in your schedule and you'll see him in I don't know I think we probably like every few months would see each other for like a week at a time but I just stayed really really busy and got used to being my own person and having my own interests and my own things that I was working at and I 
still am like that. And so I obviously I miss him. And I after usually by like day three, I'm like, okay, you can come back. But for those first three days, I just like, like get a lot done and stay in my own lane. I think that's one of the things like when I think about Luke and I's relationship and we did the apart part of it for so long is that I think in some ways just us knowing no different kind of has led to part of what makes our marriage successful in that we always from the very beginning kept our own interests, our own pursuits, you know, our friendship relationships outside of each other. Like we nurtured those because we had so much time apart in that Luke was never like my everything 24 hours a day is I still had a life outside of him. I I wasn't just so consumed by him or by our marriage that it really helped us to maintain balance in, in some ways. And I guess I can't even really say balance because the scales were so tipped so far in the other direction. But I think that the challenge lies in finding a way to continuously reconnect with each other when you can. And that's almost the harder part because there's so much distance and there's so much time away. But if you are having your life, maintaining your independence and your own goals and stuff like that, and still can try and find that way to nurture your relationship, keep it alive, it creates this environment where you can kind of achieve, I don't know, that kind of balance. Because I think even, especially in the beginning, when you're like newly in love and having those feelings, it's so tempting and it feels so good to be like all consumed by that relationship and by that person and you get sucked in. But if that's not an option for you, like right. like I said, my, my options were like, just be miserable all the time and miss this yeah. person. Because it wasn't feasible to to be with him all the time. The saying goes, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And that is so true. So true. You need a break from each other, too, because we're both independent contractors as far as work is concerned. And so even when he's not out rodeoing, he's at home. We run a small beef operation out of our house. And then the income properties is kind of more his side of that's more his thing. And then I'm a real estate agent. And so we work from home together most of the time. And so, and I'm really thankful that we both do that. We have really flexible schedules and I love that. I think it works out really well for each of us separately and also together as a couple, but we're around each other a lot. Like, so it's feast or famine lot, is what you're lot. saying. Yeah. You're and so you need a break. Like, I don't care how much you love a person. You can't be around the same person all the time. You'll, you guys will drive each other crazy. So Luke now having retired or even like I can remember the first few times he was hurt and he's just home all the time. Like after a while, I'm like, don't you have to go somewhere? Like, don't you yeah. have somewhere to be? <laughs> you can go, I don't know, with a bullfighter. Like what is his traveling schedule? Is like how much time does he spend away from home? Because I, I don't really know what, like how many rodeos they're working a year, how, how that all works. I mean... In the last few years, things have slowed down for him quite a bit. And I think some of that is just kind of like a natural progression of getting older in this industry. And it's by choice as a huge part of personally. I mean, we have so many things going on at home that just looking at his life, he really enjoys doing. He really gets excited about new business ventures. He's an ideas person and he's recently picked up triathlons he's a triathlete now he's actually an iron man oh an iron man bullfighter none of your friends will ever be able to compete (laughs) the most interesting man alive yeah exactly (laughs) just replace the dos equis guy with chuck it just is chuck now yeah but he he stays busy like we have already discussed and there's there's so many things at home that he likes to do that I think he has this really good balance right now of of being on the road. I don't know. It's hard to like quantify how often he's gone versus how often he's home. But I will say he's home a lot more in this past year than he was in the beginning of our marriage and the beginning of our relationship. So it's nice. It's a really good balance, I think. Do you go when he does go or even in the past when he was fighting bulls more, do you go with him often or did you mostly stay home because you had your career? And So in the beginning, I went every, the first year that we were married, I went with him the entire summer 
because I had just moved from Canada. It takes a while for your all your immigration stuff to go through and for me to even be able to work here took a little bit. And so I just traveled with him. And then when I did, like when my work permit and my green card and everything came through and I was able to work, I just wasn't ready to. And like we dated long distance for six and a half years. <laughs> Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's all, a long time. Yeah. And all I wanted, like the FOMO was so real. And all <laughs> I wanted to do was go everywhere with him. And so I was like, well, this seems like the perfect opportunity to be able to do that. I mean, you're starting fresh. And so I don't have a job that I have to take a leave from. I We don't have kids. And I, I was like, duh, go with him until you don't want to anymore. <laughs> and... And so I did that for the entire first summer. It was super fun. Everyone was like, how are you settling in? Because we were newlyweds and I had just moved from a different country. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean settling in? This is just like an extended vacation. This is yeah. so fun. Talk about a honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what everyone's like. Where'd you guys go for your honeymoon? I'm like, Ro rodeo, the entire <laughs> USA. And then the second year, I went most places with him. But the, by the second year, it was kind of out of my system. And so there were a few places where we'd be for a really long time. And by like halfway through the summer, when you've been living in like a tin can with the same person for <laughs> months on end a year, I was like, I, it just hit me like a stack of bricks that I needed something that was mine. I loved being able to go with him, but kind of like we were talking about earlier, I am like proud to be his wife. I'm proud of him, but that's not all that I aspire to be. And I needed something that was mine that I could take ownership of and that I could work at and stay busy with and not just feel like I was just following someone around all the time. And so that's when the wheel started to spin about what I was going to, what my next career move was going to be because I was starting over in a totally different environment. And so it felt like an opportunity to do something new and different. And so now I don't go with him. I go, I kind of pick and choose what I'm going to be able to go to just based on my work schedule. And also, honestly, who's going to be there? Like, which one's <laughs> my friend who I'm going to get to hang out with yeah, when I get there? Your favorite. Or, yeah, or where it is, if it's somewhere that at this point I've kind of, his schedule's kind of set in some most places I've already, I've been to once or twice before, but they're like, Joseph, Oregon is one that we're going to in the next few weeks and it's such a cool place. And um, so that's always one that I try to get to because it's just a really different setting and outdoorsy. And I find that like that first year or two of rodeoing is kind of like, being at a buffet and you taste everything and then you yeah. go back a couple more times and you realize what your favorites are you're like well, i'm not gonna fill up on that one like you're not gonna waste your days off on this rodeo because like you, it wasn't that good or yeah. like just not your favorite because there's so you only have like limited stomach capacity like you gotta just go for the good stuff to have dessert first and so then when you find out what your favorites are like you just hit those every year because for whatever reason you love them but when you were just speaking, I think you touched on something really important that I don't think that we have addressed on this podcast, but I have often thought myself is that so often we talk about the sacrifice of having a husband or partner or whoever that's traveling all the time and focus on that aspect of our lives. But I don't think often enough we talk about the people, the wives that are traveling with their husbands. And to me, that always felt like almost more of a sacrifice, kind of what you were saying, is that in so many ways, and, and there are definitely women, amazing women out there that find ways to work around it and do other things, but you kind of have to put your life on hold if you're going to travel with your husband full time. You're probably having to sacrifice that or wait and not work on it because your life kind of becomes devoted to their travel schedule, the in and out, the day to day of going wherever they have to go and supporting them. And, and that to me always felt like a much more daunting sacrifice than having to stay home and miss him or take care of the kids by myself or those things that I was doing because I was still able to pursue the things that I was interested in, or I felt like I still had autonomy to make my own decisions. Whereas traveling with them all the time, you're just at the mercy <laughs> of everywhere they have to be, which I 
always just made me admire the people, the women, or I guess men or whoever that are traveling with their partners and taking that on, because that's really a lot. And I think probably everyone experiences like some of the same emotions, but to different degrees, depending on how like independent you are, whether you prefer to be alone or together or work alone or together. Like, it's not that I don't like being around my husband, but it works out really well that we have our own things. And I think having that thing that, like I said, you can take ownership of is important for everybody. Like you whether it's work or parenthood or which is work or volunteer work or just something that you care about and that takes up your time and that is a huge part of you, you need. And it didn't really hit me until that like second or third summer that I was with him. And it was just all about him that I was like, well, okay, but what about me? And it's not that he was, and it was entirely my choice. Like he would have, you know, it was like, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Getting back to having something that was mine was really important. And now the flexibility in, in my job is really nice because a lot of it I can do remotely. And if I can just take it with me on the road and go with him, then I do. Sometimes I can, but I'm just in a place where I'm like, no, I just need to stay home right now for me personally. And, and that's a pretty awesome place to be. For sure. So in those years, those first years, and you're traveling with them or you're going to watch them at rodeos, inevitably there had to have been a first time that you saw him get in a bind or a dangerous situation as far as fighting bulls. What was that moment like for you the first time that you saw him? Can you remember it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just have different versions of the same story. So in 2014, he worked the NFR and he got like launched into the air. I don't know how many feet, but it was like, and when he plunked, he landed flat on the top of his head with his neck kind of crunched. And I was sitting with Ashley Webster, Cody Webster's wife, and she was like braced, just braced herself. And I just kind of sat there like dumb staring at the whole situation happening like I didn't really <laughs> so of course like in a joking way we laughed about it afterwards like she's like yeah Carolyn didn't even flinch I'm like don't <laughs> tell him that like makes it sound like I didn't care for his well-being get up I, you're embarrassing me but and he really I mean nothing really serious happened I'm sure he didn't feel very good he was definitely like concussed and then when you crank your neck like that. He wasn't feeling great for a few days, but he didn't break anything. But it just, I think, happens so fast when it does happen that you're not really sure how, or I guess I wasn't really sure how to react in that particular situation because there have been other instances where I've like completely freaked out and kicked the person in front of me in the back of the head because I like jolted so so fast. And then it's like nothing. He stands up and shakes off the dust and moves on. And I'm like, mm, okay. That was an overreaction. But, you know, it's you funny. Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know nothing about bullfighting or being in your shoes. But I find with rodeo sometimes the wrecks that look the most fantastic, right? They're like huge and everybody gasps and stuff. Everybody gets up and just walks away. You're like, how is everybody fine? And then sometimes the ones that actually cause the most serious injuries, afterwards you're like, wait, I didn't even see anything, right? It's like, they're more subtle or whatever. It's not quite as impressive as being thrown 30 feet in the air by a bull and then being fine. But I, I just can't. I've been around rodeo pretty much my entire life. And seeing those moments like in bull riding or the bullfighters and stuff, like it still makes me like cringe and my heart stop a little bit. And like, oh, it's hard to watch. I can't imagine that being my husband out there. Do you have a constant f fear, I guess, of him going and doing his job? Honestly, no, not really. There's two two parts to this because one, he works with people, other guys who are really good at what they do. And so if he ever gets into a bind, I know that there's at least one other bullfighter out there, usually two at the at bigger rodeos, that would get him out of it if he found himself in one. But the other thing is like, I, I just, if it's kind of rare that something really crazy happens 
Like most of those bulls buck and they do their job and they walk out the gate. They're not really interested in now. I am so thankful that he's not really doing the whole freestyle side of things anymore. He won the world champion, the, the BFO championship in 2015 which is bullfighters only yes and then he just got the hell out of dodge he's like i think i'm good that was it because i don't know how you would describe it but bullfighters only to me it's cirque du soleil meets bullfighting (laughs) it's are you picturing him in a leotard now like full body paint yeah oh yeah ask him if we can make that happen we can make that happen because a triathlon (laughs) suit is not that far off (laughs) i'm gonna need a little glitter or something though that can also be arranged. <laughs> but it's not it, It's not what, like a bullfighter at a rodeo. I'm assuming if anybody out there doesn't know, like a bullfighter at a rodeo, they're there for like their function. Like if a cowboy who's riding the bull gets there to kind of step in, if they get in any trouble, get the like draw the bull away from the bull rider mm-hmm. so that they have time to get away, all of that. So they're not and then the bullfighters only there there's no bull rider it's the bull and the bullfighter and they go out there and they're kind of performing their trait like yeah no so there's like the cowboy protection side of things that you'd see at a rodeo where they're like contract personnel and then there's a the freestyle side of things is a competition they're awarded points right like style points now i'm making him sound like he's an ice skater i don't Yeah. I mean, yeah, like it's, you know, technique. There's an aspect of showmanship with it. I don't want to come off as ignorant here. So I'm going to, but it's very like, they'll be awarded points for basically like how close they can get to the bull without making a mess of it and getting completely like mucked out by this fighting bull. And that's a major difference too, though, is that there's a huge difference between a bucking bull and a Mexican fighting bull. They're faster, they're smaller, they're they're aggressive. They're that's what they're bred to do. And so in a rodeo arena, typically they'll do their job, they'll buck and then they'll walk out the gate normally. I mean, sometimes they're a little they come in a little more hot, but um but in a freestyle competition, not only are you like running at a bull that is very fast and has sharp horns and and wants and is looking for you but you're also looking back for them that's kind of the point right is to like get its attention you want it to right at you because that's when you get to kind of show up you as much time as you can spend as close as possible to that bull the better like you have to stay hooked up to them and they'll have like 40 to 60 seconds in an arena and it's like octagon with it's crazy it's like <laughs> it is wild and we still are involved in that to some capacity because we like the last couple of years chuck has judged the bfo event at in vegas and so we're there and all of our friends are still involved in it and i just sit there like my stomach just turns the whole time to watch my friends just it's nerve-wracking and every time i watch one of these bfo events i'm like i'm so glad that he doesn't that this side of things is we're not he's not involved in that anymore because that would wreck me um but yeah nothing really super crazy i shouldn't say nothing but it rarely happens and when it does it happens so fast that you're really not sure like the last time there was a really close call in the rodeo arena was i think in san antonio a couple years ago and um i only realized how close he came to getting his head stomp on in the slow-mo replay and there's like so much dust kicked up and everything that you can't even really see until they like super slow things down and then of course they want to replay it like six times and you have to relive it over and over again (laughs) so much of bull riding like when i watch pbr events and stuff is that you do in those slow-mo and you see how close some of their, their feet come to jump whatever and then even times you do see somebody get stepped on or whatever in those slow motion, you really kind of appreciate the impact, like the, the massive size of those bulls because they are so athletic. And like you said, they're bucking, they're jumping, and it's so kind of quick and powerful. But when it's that slow-mo is brutal. I don't know. It's like, like torture. The other kind of crazy thing I've noticed is like sometimes the angle, not sometimes, often the angle makes a huge difference. Like 
someone will be up against the fence and it and they'll kind of like shield their face and it looks like maybe they got kicked and you're like oh my gosh and then but if you were to watch it from like the other side of the arena there were like three feet between that which right in my opinion is still too close for comfort <laughs> to the back end of a bulb what a baby barely even touched you <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little dirt <laughs> Are there any like misconceptions or things that you don't feel people like now being coming from outside this world, now being a part of it? Did you have misconceptions or things you didn't understand? Or are there those things from the outside, from other people that maybe aren't involved in rodeo life or don't know anything about bullfighting or whatever that you wish that people understood better? I'll be totally honest. This was a really hard question for me to like think. I was like, I don't think so. Like, I guess I just don't feel that misunderstood. <laughs> I think that's good. That's great. But then I asked, I was like, I talked to Chuck about it and he's like, well, it's really not as glamorous as anyone is, thinks. And I was like, ooh, yeah, that's a good one. And even myself, like being, I didn't, like I said, I didn't grow up in rodeo. And it's such a like lifestyle and generational lifestyle that I just didn't, I didn't know about it. Even in the beginning, like it was all fun because you just show up for like one every here and there. And there are lots of parts of it that are really like, I'm, I mean, are so fun and you get to experience a lot of things and you have a lot of opportunities to go and see things that I wouldn't have otherwise. And so that part of it can sometimes feel like you feel a little VIP in those situations, but it's not, it is not sparkly. Like probably the first year that I traveled with him, I was like, oh, wow, this is just a lot of like pumping tanks out of RVs <laughs> and like not eating properly and not, and like your body being sore because you're putting so many miles in in the in the car and it's just not just it was like we're essentially carnies <laughs> like, it's so true except for well and i guess i guess that the, with with bullfighters is i was gonna say but carnies always get paid but i guess bullfighters do too cowboys don't always get paid sometimes you're like you're free yes. labor but thank yeah. goodness that and, and they absolutely deserve to be because they're putting themselves in the line of fire for sure but that is very true it's not there was i've talked to and that seems to be kind of the overarching agreement is everybody's like, listen, this is not all that it's cracked up to be all the time because I think everybody sees the highlights and not all of those things that you mentioned. Yeah, especially from like the wives or partners perspectives. I mean, what we put out on on social media is often just like no one's putting we all know that no one's life is as like sparkly and and squeaky clean as we portray on the internet but like no one's really putting most of that out there because no one really cares to see it or you see pictures of everyone in their like sequins in december and all the even their cute outfits and that's all fun i'm not by any means like shooting that down or anything because it's a fun part of life and that's what we put that's what we like to put out there and, and show like look at look at the fun i'm having i want to document this for myself too but there's so much just like everybody else's life behind the scenes that is not sparkly. Yeah. No, absolutely not. And I try, I do when I approach social media, I try to be as honest about our life as possible. But of course it's going to be, it's the things you're excited about. It's the great things that are happening in life that you want to share with other people, of course. So that's a huge reason for it. But two, I think, and this is 100% just my opinion, my perspective when I think about it is I think some of that in the rodeo world comes from these guys that are at the top of their game, guys making the finals, guys that are actually able to make a rodeo, a living rodeoing, which is really difficult. Or bullfighters, I don't know of a hundred different bullfighters like going and working at these rodeos. You kind of see, and, and maybe I'm wrong, feel free to correct me, but you kind of see the same handful of guys most places, especially the big rodeos and stuff. And it's obviously because they're so great at what they're doing. They're kind of the elite, right? So they're getting steady, consistent work, getting to work these big rodeos. So I think some of it comes in the rodeo world from feeling grateful that you're in a position to, that your husband is able to afford to go and rodeo all year because they, that's their only job, which is 
really difficult. And so I think sometimes it's not wanting to come across as ungrateful. It's like if you're always just kind of being like, oh, this was crappy. He's been gone for a month. Oh, this was really hard. Oh, horses are sick. We've got huge bills. He's not winning. Is that if you're constantly kind of complaining, you... In the back of my mind, at least, it feels like there are a hundred different people that would love to be in your position. They're like, I'd love for my husband to just be able to go and rodeo. Like, I'd love for him to have those horses and stuff. So I think it's kind of walking a fine line between like continuously expressing that you're grateful to be in the position that you're in without it coming across as just complaining. I don't know. Does that make sense? My yeah, articulating totally. yeah, that I've well? never thought of it from that perspective, but for sure, it's like we don't have to do this. We get to do this. And snapping a photo of being in this really cool place because I probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for the rodeo that my husband's working. And there's nothing wrong with like, I think we often talk just, this is a little more simplified. That's really cool. I've never thought of that perspective. But everyone always talks about how like Instagram's a highlight reel and we have a tendency to be like, ugh, Instagram's a highlight reel. Like people are so fake. I'm like, that's not fake. That's, I mean, these, this is a genuine, what's we're talking like influencers in the wild kind of thing where they're like staging photo shoots. But I mean, there's nothing fake about you snapping a photo of you and your family after the rodeo and because you felt cute in that outfit that day and you guys had a great day and you're, whether your husband, you know, won or didn't, then whatever. It was just like happy, happy to be here. And it's just, it's like an online photo album and there's nothing wrong with it being a highlight reel. Of course, it's a highlight reel. I want to look back on the highlights of my life too. Of course. And maybe what we need to do is just all agree as a society that once a month we put up like a really crappy post. We're like, all right, here's everything that's happened that's awful in my life for a month. Like, here you go. And then it just, there we go. Then we're all happy, right? (laughs) They suck. That's it. I just want to... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just want to remind you that my life also sucks and I have an ingrown toenail or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It'll make everybody feel better about like your great outfit the week before. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of highlights, do you have like an all time favorite rodeo memory or moment or day? Yeah, the first thing that ca- came to mind was I was like, man, there's so many funnies, but like, what's the funniest of the funnies? But I just can't. Pressure's on. This better be super funny. Yeah, yeah, no, this (laughs) this one is not. Sorry. Like a day to day, there's just like so many funny things that. But, you know, the difference between like things being funny in the moment when they happen to you and then you go and tell the story and you're like, okay. Oh, that's the absolute worst, especially when like you're trying to retell it and like in the moment laughing so hard, you can't even like tell the story. (laughs) And then it's just and then you get to the end. And you're like crying and sweating, laughing. And it's just like crickets. Nobody else. They're still waiting for the punchline. (laughs) But I would say like the most memorable time was, I don't even think we were married yet. I think we were still dating. And I think I had taken a summer off of work and school to just go with him for like a month or two. And we were in Estes Park and we took the day with like just such a fun group of people. And we rented mopeds, like Vespa scooters, and rode them to the top of like a 12,000 foot mountain in Rocky Mountain National Park. And these things handle, these things take like a gallon of gasoline. And so you're going like two miles an hour uphill the whole way for, it was an entire day of outing. And you're going like snail paced up the hill and then on the way down you're just like the thing probably goes like if you're on a flat surface and you just revved it as high as it would go i don't know maybe like 40 50 miles an hour kind of thing and then but when you when you (laughs) you make it go as fast as it'll go and you're flying down the side of a mountain of like 30 percent grade this thing you're just like lead or buck down the side of a mountain (laughs) it was so fun and it was like a whole day of it and then of course, like we're probably a couple miles from like town itself. We're still in the national park on like a highway. There's not a whole lot of people around driving by and everyone's just cruising, reminiscing on how fun the day was. And lo and behold, one of us runs out of gas. <laughs> Guess who it was? It wasn't me. Oh, uh, did Chuck run out of gas? 
course, Chuck ran out of gas. Everyone else Wait, was just... I assume you all left with the same amount of fuel. How, oh, did, yeah. only, how did only he run it? Because well, was he going faster than everybody else? Well, I don't know if he's going faster than anyone else, but he's definitely putting more miles in on that thing. Because <laughs> if you know anything about Chuck, he's not... I mean, like I said, there's no gray area. There's no, it's like all or nothing. So he's probably, I mean, he's like pop, trying to pop wheelies on this little Vespa. And he's like zipping back and forth. And he's just the tomfoolery. Oh my gosh. I'm picturing like the highlight reel in a movie where he's just like drives one way. He's like standing on the seat with his leg behind him or like riding backwards. Like I'm picturing him doing all kinds of tricks also in that same like glittery spandex uniform we're gonna get him in for the bullfighting <laughs> too i have a whole mental yeah. montage of chuck i hope this isn't weird for him it's later. not that far off either <laughs> so he's the only one who ran out of gas a few of us stayed back just on the side of the road waiting for a couple more of us to drive to town and get a little jerry can full of uh, and it was like the probably the funniest part of this to me is which is probably not funny to anybody else but is that to go back to town and fill up a, you're not filling up a jerry can like this thing only takes a gallon of gas mm-hmm. and so if you fill up a jerry can a mostly full jerry can of gasoline back to town on the back of your moped he's <laughs> like i need like a juice bottle full of water <laughs> or full of gasoline but that's not legal so you, he just had to like fill up a, the tiniest i don't even know what it, it was probably like two dollars worth of fuel <laughs> In this jerry can just to bring it back and just to get Chuck like two miles back to town. And, oh, my God. It was such a fun day. But now I hate to burst anyone's bubble. But if you're ever in Estes Park, it's not an option anymore because <laughs> that was the last year. They heard about Chuck's antics on the Vespa and they're like, never again. We do not ever let anyone use these, especially a cowboy. You see him coming, you tell them we do not have Vespas for rent. So that's not, you can't even write, they won't even rent out Vespas anymore. But It sounds like they went down in glory, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fun. great. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I really, I enjoyed hearing so much more about your lives and that aspect of rodeo. It's been really wonderful. And you made me laugh. You did not disappoint at all. Oh, My cheeks are sore from smiling. This was a ton of fun. It was fun. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Well, that was fun. Now, if you're anything like me and just can't get enough of these behind-the-scenes stories from our inspiring guests, then my website is the perfect place to dig even deeper into the world of rodeo. Visit the link in the show notes for even more Companion Pass content. <laughs>